no good decisions come from being emotional and you can't think clearly. So it's so important just to get to that point where it's like, you put it on a paper. Okay, option A, option B, that's it. What do you want to do? Snackable content from brand builders. E-commerce and growth marketing leaders. Giving you actionable insights you can apply today. Bite-sized podcast. With Daniel James. So for anybody who's been listening to Bite Size for some time, creative being the variable is a statement largely agreed upon by myself and most of my guests, whether that's a brand founder or a marketer. And let's break down what effective marketing is. It's images, videos, copy, structured in a way to drive an action. To develop a creative that drives action, you have to understand creative performance and use that as a feedback loop into your creative strategy, your media buying, your creative optimization teams. At Fly Performance, we use Motion. So Motion is a creative reporting platform that visualizes creative performance and uses really easy to understand metrics that are mapped to the consumer funnel. So from thumb stop ratio to ROAS, making it so easy to understand not just performance, but where you need to optimize. Not only that, it's a huge time saver. We estimated that since using Motion across the agency, we've saved our teams two days a week from manual data pools, allowing them to test and analyze creative far more efficiently and get winning creatives and really help drive performance. Creative is the variable. Super pumped for this episode of Buy Size because I've got, I would say, we're not close friends, but we've known each other for a long time and mix in a lot of the same circles. And it's someone I've got a huge amount of respect for, always following his journey, um, always excited to see him when he shows up in the world on LinkedIn and Instagram and everything else. Taylor, uh, CEO, co-founder of Feet Clothing. Welcome to Bite Size, dude. Happy to have you on. Thanks for having me. And the respect is mutual now. And it's when there's people, you just have such a strong respect for, even if you see them once a year, every couple of years. It's you're on the same level. You could you could talk and you just you get it right. So, got a lot of mutual respect for you as well. Excited to be on. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you diving in. I mean, we'll cover this in a subsequent question about your your personal brand. But for anyone who lives under a rock and doesn't know you, <laughs> tell us your five minute career story. Where where did it start and um and what are you doing now? All right, five minutes. Um, I'll try to take the whole time because I like telling the story. <laughs> it's three so, minutes. <laughs> three minutes? Oh, shoot. Okay, I'll talk fast. But I, I was always an entrepreneur. I never fit within a system, right? And I always like, it was, school was challenging for me, high school. I always thought I was smart. My grades didn't reflect it. So I was always kind of thinking of other creative ways to do things. I applied to 10 different colleges. I got rejected by nine. So it made my decision easy. I only got into one out of 10 schools. So I knew where I was going. I always thought I was more capable than what the system told me. So that got me to do, I was always doing side hustles because I just, I was frustrated. So I guess entrepreneurial journey started when I was like 15 years old and I, I was a big Clippers basketball fan and I couldn't afford to go into the stadium. So I would buy and sell tickets and I would start with like no money. And I was almost like ask people, please, can I have a ticket? I really wanted the game. And I'd get all these tickets, then I'd flip them and I'd buy them and sell them. By the end of that, I was sitting courtside and I would try, always try to flip to get to courtside seats. And it was really fun. It taught me a lot about assets where, it, you know, appreciating assets because games start at 7.30 and, you know, their tickets are most valuable between 7.15 and 7.30. After 7.30, the value goes down immediately, right? Because order starts and these things. So it taught me a lot about buying, selling, holding on to inventory for too long. Um, and that's kind of where I got my entrepreneurial start. Same thing happened at college. I went to college and I was like, I... I cannot sit in this classroom. I'm just losing my mind. My mind is just race. So started a bunch of different co companies in college. 
that taught me a lot of lessons. And then the, the final company I started in college was Feet. Um, and that was senior year, started working on that. And it's been a journey. It's been eight years since then. Ups, downs, all arounds. I mean, it's hilarious to think. We started Feet, um, this was 2014. I remember at this time, most brands didn't even have Instagram pages, right? And I remember like, we had Facebook pages. That was our main thing. And then all the conversations were, why would a company have an Instagram page? What are they going to post pictures of? They're not photographers. Like, why would a company have an Instagram page? And even at that time, like, I remember Facebook would email us and be like, here's $30,000 in Facebook ad credit. And I was like, who the hell would want to advertise on Facebook? Like, I would just ignore those emails. Like, why would I want to put an advertisement on, on Facebook? That makes no sense. So interesting to see how things have gone up and down and all around. And it's been a fun journey. Yeah, it's amazing, man. You did it in less than... Less than five minutes. I'm sure you could have spoken. Oh, well, I'll keep talking. Um, I live in Bennett Beach now. I have an English bulldog. I like walks up to the beach. I like yoga. And yeah, that's me. Well, let's let's dive into actually, what was the motivation? So selling sports tickets to common businesses, what made feet be the thing that you landed on? That's been, you know, something that you, that, why why that? What What was like... Was it always you wanted to get into a fashion apparel? Were you just testing different verticals? Why was that the one you landed on and have been building for the past eight years? Hmm, good question. Because I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out here that are listening to this or people who want to be entrepreneurs who have kind of started things and not got traction. So I think why Feet? Because Feet had traction, right? It, it was able to have enough inertia to get going into a business. And I think traction comes from a market opportunity. You have to be at the right place at the right time. Timing is so freaking important. Um, but also doing something that you want to do, right? And I was never passionate about, we started with socks. The company started as feet socks. I was never passionate about socks, but I was passionate about expressing yourself. And it, the story really resonated to me because I really thought I wanted to go into finance and I'd busted my ass to get an investment banking internship. And I was like, I'm going to do this because that's where you make the money. It's all about finance. And I got, like, I, I did not go to a good school. I did not you know, have good grades. So I had to really work hard to try to get this investment banking internship. That's a very difficult internship to get. And I got it. And I was there for all these kids who are way smarter than me, way more successful than me on paper, right? And I saw all these people that I wanted to aspire to be. And they're all just like stiff. They're wearing suit and tie. They're, they're like this all day. They're robotic. And they're stiff. They're drinking 10 cups of coffee a day. They're all on their third or fourth wife. None of them are happy. And I'm like, shit, I don't want to go down this path. Like, this shit sucks. So that's how I kind of stumbled into socks. It was like, when I was working in those jobs, the one thing I could do was wear fun socks. Like, I was the fun sock guy. I tried to bring fun to the office. So the why feet was, I think, there's initial traction. It was the right time. Socks were trendy around that time. So we had, you know, a good push from the market that was helping us. And it was also something that, like, it was a story I could tell really organically of, like, Look, I thought I wanted to go to this corporate world. I hated it. This was the thing that made me happy. Yeah, I love that. Who is it? Peter Jones, the Dragon's Den entrepreneur. He's always watching his uh, like really nice suits and then the flashy pink socks and everything else. And even my my first like part time job at Enterprise Rent a Car, I had to wear a suit and tie and all that nonsense. But socks, to your point, is it was the one thing you could express. A hundred percent, which I loved. Um, you mentioned. Got me into clothing actually, because I realized when I'd wear a suit and tie every day, I'm extremely sensory sensitive to clothing. So 
I it, I think a lot of people are sensory sensitive clothing that are just not aware of it. So if I'm wearing uncomfortable clothes, I become stiff. So if you ever see me in a suit, I become robotic. My my whole body gets tense, and I'm not happy. I'm stressed. I'm anxious. And that's how we got into like these super soft hoodies and joggers, and that's how feet clothing evolved. Because I wanted to wear make clothes that I felt comfortable in, and I realized how much it affected my mood, my happiness level, my energy level. When I'm wearing comfortable clothes, I'm comfortable in life, right? I'm very comfortable. When I'm wearing uncomfortable clothes, I'm not comfortable. And life is a lot more challenging. Yeah, I, I definitely relate to that in everyday life, but also in the gym. Like I'm fussy about what I wear to the gym. If I don't feel comfortable, I like I, I don't feel like I can work out as well as I, as I normally would. So yeah, I, de- I definitely relate to that. Taylor, one thing, and I mentioned this at the beginning, you've built a large following right? Especially on LinkedIn, I think. I don't know all your numbers on, on different channels and everything else. How conscious was that? How beneficial has it been? Was it a real proactive strategy of I'm going to do this? And how are you kind of like approaching it now in terms of the development of your personal brands? Yeah, it was definitely not conscious or planned in any way, shape or form. And I think it was not conscious in any way, shape or form. I think too many people try to be too calculated about it. And it's just you end up sounding and being like everyone else. So my biggest advice to anyone who's trying to do anything, you have to be unique. And if you're unique, you're not planning posts. Like I, I think LinkedIn, there was in maybe 2019 or 2020, I grew from like 5,000 followers to 130,000 followers. And like had explosive growth. I was the fastest growing account on the platform and one of the most followed account and had the most impressions in that 2019, 2020 on the platform out of anything, which is pretty wild to hear those statistics. There was no planning. I would open, like, I would think of a thought like, oh, you know, it's important to not plan something and just do it and then just type that instantly. So like, I think the reason to my success on LinkedIn was zero filter because people that try to be filtered, you end up using the same words and you're not standing out at all. So I think that was like, it was all organic and natural. And, you know, in the past year, I haven't really felt like posting months because I've been working on the business, challenging, and I'm not going to force it. Like, I think I'm lucky to be in a place where I don't need the content to pay my bills or the other things. So it's like, to me, it's a very fun, very natural thing. And I want to do it. I do it. If I don't, I don't. Be natural. Be authentic. Yeah. I love that advice. And I echo the sentiment, you know, by nature, personal brand should be really authentic to yourself, but it's become such a thing. It's a career, right? And I think like, I don't begrudge that if you if people can make a living out of developing a personal brand, but too much of it. I, some of the content I really hate to see is people talking about how to be successful on a platform, and that's the that's the nature of what their content is. And I like your approach. You know, even if I relate it to myself, just quickly, I'm trying to post more because I like to share my thoughts, but I actually struggle to plan it because it feels forced. So I kind of like what you're saying. Like if I get a thought, I'll post it. If something tweaks my interest, then I'll post it. What, if any, bearing in mind or knowing now that it wasn't like a calculated thing, what's been the benefit on the brand? Has it has it helped the brand or is it more just like access to people? Like what's what's been the tangible takeaways or benefits, if any? I think the highest level, when I zoom out, when you think about influence or e-commerce or digital marketing or anything, it's a very simple formula. It's how many eyeballs can you reach? What percent of those eyeballs can you get to your site or convert, right? That is the game. So how do you reach eyeballs at scale? And then how are you reaching those eyeballs, right? Because there's ways you can 
reach eyeballs that won't convert because they won't value what you think. You know, you could do shit posting or you could do like prank videos on YouTube or you're not going to be able to convert people to buy stuff or you're not going to build a strong presence. So it's like eyeballs and then in how much those eyeballs trust you enough to convert to whatever it is you're selling or doing or whatever that is. So it's been extremely powerful. I mean, it's a massive audience. I've monetized it in many ways in the past. I think the big thing is I'll only monetizing things I really want to monetize and not pushing stuff. Because I think you start to lose that. You, you can still reach people, but if you start pushing crap all the time on that audience, they're going to know you push crap and they're not going to want to. Like you saw a lot of these influencers push NFTs or different projects, right? To make a quick buck. And everyone's like, fuck those people. Like I'm never bought shit from them again. Um, I think that's kind of negative on influencers. So I think, I mean, it's extremely powerful to have an audience for so many different reasons. I mean, a good example right now, we're trying to move through some inventory. So I do an offer and I can go reach 100,000 people for free who already know me and respect me. But that being said, I value the trust for my audience over selling anything ever. Like I would never sell something. To me, it's not worth it. And I'm lucky to be in a place where I don't need it financially. I think it's a very thin line. You, you want to build an audience and then a lot of people instantly want to monetize that audience. But you have to build trust. It's long-term trust, which is more important. Going back to early days of feet, started off as socks, developed into different product ranges. Um, I mean, eight years is a long time to be building a brand. What are some of the key milestones or moments? Uh, like you said, you had you had traction early which is why it was one of the ideas you kind of like stuck with. But what are some of the key milestones or moments or things that you did that were those kind of like real progression steps towards growing the brand to what it's become? If the first couple of years, the progression stuff of the milestones, just sheer naive willpower and just full focus of doing absolutely anything. Nothing beneath you. Picking and packing orders, call each customer one by one, you know, not doing anything on the weekends besides work, working all like just the shill, sheer, like every single conversation, working it in there, selling it to every single person ever. And that was that initial inertia. And it didn't feel like work at the time. It was so natural. The energy was contagious, right? And that's what people caught on to. After a couple of years of that, you realize like, shit, like you, you can't be the person always talks about their company is always pitching things and you need to kind of develop more of who you are as a person so it's like i think the first couple of years with that like there was massive energy behind it that was like couple, first couple of years just that sheer willpower then from there what was our next kind of push uh this is probably 2016 to 2018 was influencers and being really early on things like vine doing early deals with people like logan paul the chain smokers these people who had massive followings, but weren't doing these types of deals or we would make them custom products. And we still do that with Helen Owen, and Kristen Cavalieri. So that's been a big push as influencer stuff. Then, so that would say that was 2016 to 2019. 2019 is where you really pivoted to feet clothing. And then from there, we kind of got hooked on Facebook, right? Like we went from doing everything organic and that hustle to like, wait, oh shit, instead of call them by going into a coffee shop and trying to get five customers. We could just spend $5,000 today on Facebook and do 30,000 in revenue versus driving up 10 different coffee shops and talking to everyone in the coffee shop to do $300 in revenue. Like, whoa. So I think 2019 to 22, hooked on Facebook and it was absolutely crushing. But it's funny, I'll, you know, everyone always say you're over leverage, you know, you're overexposed. 
And we're like, what do you mean? Why would we spend anywhere else? We could spend a dollar here and get four back. Same day. Like, this is scale. We're going to a billion dollars in two years. And then iOS 14 happened. And so that paid. And it turned out we were a little over leveraged. And some people with more experience are a little smarter than us and should have listened a little more. What did you do at that point? You know, when, when iOS 14 hit, was it an instant diversification? Was it a, let's try and figure this out? Like I know a lot of people in the industry like diversified spending to other channels, which I think has largely come back, frankly, into Instagram. I think a lot of people also invested into slightly overpriced attribution tools. <laughs> what have you done and what's worked? It's interesting because we talked about just kind of like sheer willpower. And I think the most challenging thing for entrepreneurs, and I'm sure you felt this as well for a while, I don't know, what your journey was like, but it's hard not to put your whole value and your self-worth in the numbers, right? So started this company at 22 years old. I did have, uh, I had some partners I worked on at different times, but your whole sense of worth is in those numbers, in that Facebook algorithm, right? When you're crushing it and, and you know, you're spending 10K a day, doing 50K a day in revenue and making 10, 20K a day in profit, you are personally on top of the world. You're so smart. You're so happy. Your energy's flowing. So when something like iOS 14 happens, the numbers are really bad. It's hard not to get down because you've been so connected with this brand and these numbers, your personal identity in the brand so much. So I think that was the first thing was like, shit, I have to disconnect myself from the success of this business, which I think so many entrepreneurs struggle. You have been mental health and entrepreneurship. Like people love being like talking about mental health, but no one actually talks about mental health, but like it's fucked up, man. When you're so connected to this business and there's so many external up and downs that are out of your control that are taking you up and down, it screws you up. And, you know, I had a, a business partner I worked with on this and he couldn't get past that. It messed him up to the point that he couldn't even work on the business. He couldn't show up anymore. So I think it's hard to disconnect yourself. So that was the first thing where I was just like, I am not my members. And that's kind of got me in like this more self-searching. Who am I if I'm not deep? If I'm not Taylor Reed and my self-worth is tied up in that. So that was the first thing that happened with iOS. It was like, I felt that initial reaction. I was like, okay, cool. I'm not going to let this break me. I'm going to find hobbies. I'm going to have friends. I'm going to have a sport group. I'm going to do things like yoga. I'm going to do things where I don't think about work so I can keep my sanity so I can make the best decision possible. Because when you're making two emotional decisions, it's difficult. That was step one. Then like on a tactical side, we tried other channels. We couldn't get shit to work, nothing. And you get in a really tough point with the business. We had just fundraised in 21. And we're at this point where we built up large inventory positions. So we have a lot of cash tied up in inventory. We built up a large overhead because we were heading to scale. And then we had no revenue against these large positions. So you get in a really tough spot and we kept trying to get that scale. We couldn't find efficient scale anywhere. So what do you have to do? You have to cut down your overhead which sucks. And you have to get lean. I think we went from around 20 full-time employees down to four. I uh, was three full-time employees at one point where it's like, it sucks. And it goes back to the scrappy days of, you know, I run our Facebook ads right now. I do our email marketing. I'm doing product development. Like I'm also a little bit of customer service. It's just things that you at one point thought you'd outgrow, but it's like, get back to being scrappy. Those were luxuries. You got to go make it happen. And um, that's what we done. So we got lean, really lean. And now we're at a point where we're profitable. And I think the most important thing is to be profitable day over day. So you could write your own destiny. You're not in control of anyone else. So yeah, it's been a journey. It's a lot of hard things. It's a lot of hard conversations. It sucks. You have to let people go who 
are great people and it's not their fault. It sucks, but that's what you got to do to survive. Yeah, just do. I mean, what a journey. Just um, and the fact that you you got a smile on your face and like you said, uh, I love that your first response to the iOS 14 was like, I am not my numbers. And I think any entrepreneur and I can definitely relate, right? Like my happiness was 100% tied to was the business doing well. If the business was doing well, I was happy. If it wasn't doing well, I was unhappy. And yeah, you're right. Like mental health is spoke about, but no one really talks about it. I'm probably not helping that because I've definitely been through many, many ups and downs in the entrepreneurial journey and just career in general. So props to you for that because I think it's a really hard thing to tell like any up and like any entrepreneur listen to this who maybe is early in the journey everyone will know that entrepreneurship is hard until you go through it i think it's one of those things that you just don't know until hindsight it's like when your parents tell you you know one day you'll you'll like drinking red wine and you're like no i fucking won't i'm never gonna drink red wine then you get to 30 it's like i really like red wine you, you don't know until you know and the second thing i think you know you did the same as a lot of people diversify but you're prioritizing the right things right and I think that's a really good lesson for people to listen to like businesses are fluid things and if you can't be at the same scale the same people you got to make those tough decisions scale it down and ultimately you can still make the business work if you're being profitable it might just be on a different different scale but then you you've at least maintained and retained something to grow back into you know potentially what it was if not bigger down the line and that that takes you have to detach your ego from the business to be able to make those decisions right because we made decisions to downsize the team and cut back on the company and lower our projections and our revenue you know, if I was attached to my numbers, like, you know, feet in the first seven years of business, never had a year where we went backwards in revenue. So I was so, I was so out of that. We grew forward every year. We also, like the first seven years of business, never had a year where we weren't profitable. So it was like, the first time, like all that, where it's like, shit, but it, you kind of just zoom out and you're just like, none of it fucking matters anyway. Like, like people think it's like life or death. And it's like, you know, every entrepreneur, right? If this business fails, everyone's going to think I'm a failure. No one will talk to me. People are going to whisper when I introduce myself, oh, that's Taylor from Beat the Failure. Or it's like, no one gives a shit about anything you're doing like at all. Like no one will even remember anything. So it's like, just no one cares. And if you take that pressure off it, like you mentioned, I'm smiling during this. It needs to be fun because when you're tense and when there's too much pressure, it's not fun. And that's not why you started the business. You did not start a business to be stressed every day. You started a business to be in control of your destiny and have fun every day. So it's like, it's up to you. It's up to you. Do you want to enjoy the ride or do you want to hate the ride? And the ride is all you have because at the end of the day, you're like, shit, did I like this or not? Yeah, 100%. 100%. I, I couldn't agree more. The other thing about when you're in that mindset and you're all tense and everything, you don't make the right decisions. You're too emotionally invested in it versus like, like you said, zooming out and just being objectively like, okay, well, here's the numbers. Here's what I need to do. If you're if you're emotionally too influenced by things, you'll, you'll ultimately make the wrong decisions anyway. No good decisions come from being emotional, and you can't think clearly. So it's so important just to get to that point where it's like you put it on a paper. Okay, option A, option B. That's it. What do you want to do? Kind of flowing from that. So B obviously started, you know, purely online. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you recently opened up a pop-up store, right? And is that was that your first kind of like foray into omni-channel or a speed in retail? Is it like, what's your approach to omni-channel? What was the pop-up store experience like? Is it something you do again? Talk to me about your just approach to, to omni-channel because I think like DTC as a business model has, I don't know, 
it, it, it was a business model in its entirety a couple of years ago. And I think now people are more accepting of it's a, it's a channel within a broader business mix. What's, what's your approach? Yeah. So I think when the iOS 14 things hit, it was immediately scrambled to diversification, right? It was immediately scrambled to, oh shit, we were so over leveraged on direct to consumer. Let's go build a wholesale business. Let's go open up a bunch of stores. The plan is to open five different retail stores in these five different locations. And I was like, let's do this. This is a solution, right? We're not going to be just D2C anymore. We tried to get into wholesale. We built out a wholesale team and didn't see the results from that. I think a lot of wholesalers had too much inventory at the time. And I think we were naive to think 2022 and 2023, the world has been overstocked with product and inventory. And, you know, I think my big takeaway from this is like, there's time to push and there's times not. And that was not the time to push and to try to scale. That was the time to get conservative. So we tried pushing. We tried pushing aggressively and built up and invested a lot to get into wholesale. We didn't see the results we wanted to. We opened our first out of five retail stores. The plan was to have it be a further retail store. I had a, we signed a longer term lease and we had a one-year opt-out and it sucked, but we had to exercise the one-year opt-out and shut down the store after a year. Because I, I went back to, it wasn't the brand not connecting. It wasn't that we'll never open a store and it'll never work. Time, place, the energy behind it, the people, there's all these factors and it just, it didn't make economical sense at this time. So we tried a lot of omni-channel things and haven't been able to see success, but that kind of got me realizing like, I guess they had a strategy of like, let's just keep throwing shit at the wall. Let's just keep shooting. And then turned out like the better is not to take a shot right now. And just to like be profitable with it, like, Instead of investing resources, how do we scale? How do we scale? How do we scale? It's like, it's the, uh, and it took a lot of conversation, the maturity to say, shit, now is not the time to scale. I had to go to like, let's conserve resources. Let's get lean. Let's be profitable day every day. We're going to have a time again to take shots, but this is not the best time to take a shot. That's it. I mean, really smart decision-making, right? Um, it looked like a lot of fun though. I'm sure it was a lot of hard work, but following the TikToks and following the everything else, it looked like, it looked like a lot of fun. And and also what I think you're great at is it's still marketing, right? I'm sure even if the store economically like dollars into it maybe versus dollars out, but I'm sure just overall brand building, it, it's all it's all part of the puzzle. Yeah, I mean, I firmly believe, and this is kind of like woo-woo, maybe this is me living in Venice and uh, Los Angeles, California, like, I'm a big believer in energy and I think energy is contagious, whatever type of energy you have. So whatever you're doing, if you're doing it fun, like people will watch, people want good, positive, fun energy. So I try to bring that. I'll be honest, like there's times where I haven't had that, but the business was bad. And that's kind of made me like figure out how I can show up with that energy every single day. And to be honest, the past year, I haven't had it for a long time. It's been really challenging. And I found myself getting these headspaces where even with the team, I'd come in and my energy was off. The whole team under could see that. Like people are, people pick up on shit and they could see kind of moping around and like they feel it. Our, it shows in our content and our brand, our customers feel it. Like that shit's contagious all the way around. So energy is so freaking important. And back to like you talked about the TikToks, like if you can have fun doing stuff, people will follow. If you're not having fun, people will know too. So try to be conscious of the energy I put out when I'm around anyone, whether it's on this podcast, whether it's my team. When I get home alone, I shut it down and I recharge and I try not to um, talk or be around people until I'm in a, a headspace where, you know, I have good energy around them. 
Joe, I actually heard that. I heard that um, a quote on, I think someone else's podcast, even just yesterday of the CEO's tone is the tone of the company. And it's hard, right? Because, you know, you're the one shouldering most of the burden around like the decisions, the success, the failures, everything else. But I mean, you're, you're a thoughtful, caring CEO. You want to protect, but they also need to know. And it's challenging on you emotionally, personally, because, you know, when you go through hard times, it's like, it's hard to it is hard to maintain that positive mindset, but you kind of have to in one way because it helps with decision-making and, and yeah, the, the tone of the CEO really is the tone of, of the company. And if you're unmotivated and like lethargic, it's it's going to show up in, in everything that you do. For sure. I, I fully believe it's the tone. I think it's, it's so important to be conscious of that. And then I want to say the tone, as much as you always want to be a positive, you can't bullshit people, right? Like you can't tell them, hey, we're absolutely crushing it. Let's go when things aren't good. And that's something that I was scared of having difficult conversations. And that's a big, it's been a big learning curve for me to figure out how to communicate when things aren't going well and be direct about that. Not in a pessimistic way, but as a matter of fact type way, because I used to be the cheerleader, right? We're not going well. Oh, that's awesome. Great. Let's go. We could do this. Almost to an unrealistic point of view that wasn't authentic. And I was trying to force it and it would drain me. And it wasn't fair to the employees when I was kind of blowing smoke on something that wasn't good and trying to spin it into a positive way. So to work on all of it. But yeah, I mean, the energy of the, the CEO of the team, it's all contagious. What's been the what's been the benefit then of that approach? Because again, like that, not being pessimistic, but being more open and transparent with the team as to like where things are at. Has it has it helped you in terms of sharing the burden and like galvanizing? Because with with the right people, that will galvanize people to like want to support more, which means, you know, you're not the only one shouldering that kind of burden within the company. Yeah. I think the first thing is like, you can't bullshit yourself. That's number one. And there were times, especially with this business of feet, where part of the house is on fire and I just wouldn't look in that direction. And I'd be like, but look at this direction. Look how great this is. Where part of the business was on fire, right? And I would just Pretend it wasn't there. I was bullshitting myself. So that was step one. Like when you have a problem, look at it head on, deal with it. Otherwise, you know, you're trying to do something else. It's still in the back of your head. It's going to mess you up. Right. So that's a, in business life and in personal life, like if there's something, address it head on and then you can move past it and then you can be clear. Right. Versus trying to suppress it or hide it. So one, you don't bullshit yourself. And then if you're doing that, don't bullshit your employees, right? Don't tell them things are good when they're not. So even now, if we moved out of the feed store and I have like, this is someone else's desk behind me. We're in my apartment right now. So like I have employees working for my apartment. Like it really doesn't get scrappier for them this. For a business that, you know, has been around for eight years and has done tens of millions, almost hundreds of millions in revenue to be working out. Like I don't really even have that big of an apartment, right? Like I have people working in here and then, you know, it, I have my laundry right here. I have like my bedroom. It's all, it's scrappy. It doesn't get scrappier. So it's like, I can't tell someone we're crushing it right now because it'd be like, why the fuck are we working out of your apartment? Right? But we can't, like, we're not in a position to go get an office right now. So I think there's something about that. Like it will attract the right people. I love, I think it was, but um, there's something went viral um, on social media. It was essentially saying like, somebody took out an ad for this journey, this is back like in the 1500s or 1600s to go discover new land, like imagine like a Columbus type journey. And the ad read, we're going on a journey to find new land. You're most likely gonna die. You're not gonna make it back. It's gonna be dark and cold for three months at a time. You're not gonna see sunlight. 
and there's a very slim chance of survival. And the people that signed up for that, like that, they made it through like, I forget what it was, like months without water or food and survived something crazy because they had that mindset. So it's like, I think you should attract the right people who are like, fuck yeah, I want hustle. I want to do this versus attracting the people who are like, oh, I'm going to need an assistant to do this for me. No, I don't, I don't do that. Oh, I need, I need the software for this. Like it's all the type of people you attract. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that all comes down to that authenticity, right? It's like the personal brand thing. You want to attract the people who are actually going to engage and, and be loyal followers. You can't do that by pretending to be someone else or making something not authentic to actually the reality of, of you or the scenario or the situation of the business. So yeah, I, I love that point. That's amazing. So, I mean, with all the challenges, like another thing that sticks out to me about you, Taylor and Fee, is is you you have fun with your marketing, right? This is the billboards. I don't know if that was real or mocked. Actually. It was real. It, it was, was real. Okay, okay. I didn't see it. I was like, this is this is amazing. And then, you know, even recently, right, that I'm a comfy girl in a comfy world, you're obviously capitalizing on trends. I think it's something that you do really well. Like, is again, I'm always keen like how strategically thought out are these things or how much is it just you having fucking fun with it and being like, fuck it, let's do a billboard of me <laughs> looking like this. Let's do a Barbie inspired pink collection. It, it comes across like you're aware of cultural trends and what captures attention, which again, to your point, is really half of the challenge, right? When you're thinking about marketing and brand or business. Yeah, I think it can't be planned out because that's when you get too many voices in a room and they'll say now. So for example, that billboard and for the billboard he's talking about, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it was in the center of Venice, the most right, like next to the Venice sign, right in Venice. I had a friend who was doing the billboard. He said, hey, do you want to rent it for a couple of months? And I was like, oh shit. I had this idea. I didn't tell anyone on my team. I didn't tell my COO. I didn't tell my board because I knew they would have said no. <laughs> I know they would have said, that's a stupid ass idea. There's no way. And for the billboard and reference, the concept, it says the only thing more comfortable than making naked, feet clothing, it has to be laying across the billboard naked with just a hoodie covering the private parts that we can't put up. But I was almost butt naked on a billboard laying across it. I know what their reaction would be. They would say, absolutely not. There's no chance we do it. So that's why I didn't tell them. And I just did it. And that's like, to me, I just go back to, I think of it like art where it's so pure. And if you just do what's purely you, that's what will work. You can't have too many voices in a room. Everyone will always come up with a reason for now. You just gotta fucking do it. Like, who cares? And what does it matter? Like, I thought it was funny. All my friends thought it was funny. We had brave reactions to it. It's different. Because otherwise, and I think this would kind of cycle the brand down. Like in 2019 to 2020, I think we lost, 2022, lost all of the brand energy. Because we started, I wasn't as involved in the marketing side of it. And um, we started building a brand that wasn't unique. It was like everyone else. So we were building a brand that worked on Facebook ads. So instead of doing brand marketing, like fun things like billboards like that, that I was like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. We started doing, look at these shorts, four-way stretch, sustainably made. Like every other fucking company in the world, right? Every single e-commerce, here it is. Model walks in shot, shows the stretch, walks up, right? And like, You've seen a thousand of them, it's all the same. So the two options are like, one, be unique, do shit that, you know, is different like this billboard. Or number two, be like, like every single e-commerce company from 2016 to 2022, almost the same tone, right? Like imagine the Eva had one, like sit back this weekend and crack open a cold 
or while you're shopping online. Like every that could be from any e-commerce company or any company. Four-way stretch, our new made-up name fabric with four-way stretch. It's all the same shit, right? You're not gonna like, and to me, it's fucking boring. Like, I don't want to do that shit. So it's like, back to, you gotta have fun with it. That's so true. Man, if I ever see another ad that says backed by science, like, I, it's just like, what is it at this point? You know, and to, like in, in the world of health and fitness, and, and like you said, the same. The same but it with- works. It works for performance marketing, right? And that's it's like- work. And so when you follow the numbers, right? Like you could build two types of business, right? You could follow the numbers, or you could follow your heart. And I think too many people follow the numbers because if you're following the numbers, you would never do that billboard I did, right? There's no numbers to back out on that, right? But then you don't have those moments. And I think the brand gets stale, right? And I think those brands worked when there was such an arbitrage opportunity on Meta and Facebook ads in that moment in time. But now that that arbitrage opportunity is over, like that shit doesn't work. You gotta be fucking interesting. You gotta do something different. And even if those channels are working from a performance metric, brands get to a point where you, you you need those bigger brand plays. I think for us, we think of it as like brand performance, right? Cause it's like doing it in a silo and not understanding at least or harnessing it down to, you know, why do you do any kind of marketing? It's ultimately to acquire a customer, right? So like done in a silo, I don't think it's effective, but yeah, I, I think, I'm probably, I'm a performance marketing agency owner that actually really enjoys brand marketing when it's tied to performance marketing because you can have more fun with it. You can have, you can be more expressive. Let me ask you this actually, Taylor. Are you a marketer first and a brand builder second or a brand builder first or a marketer second? Because you come across, you're very marketing savvy, right? If you think of like just even from this call, but just knowing you and seeing seeing you, are you like deep in the product? And, and the kind of the brands, the, the brand building side, or is it for you, is it like, well, there's a cool product, it's good, we care about the quality, my strength is in the marketing of it. Or is it both? I think it's definitely both. I guess I wouldn't define myself as any like as anything because I enjoy everything. And I, I, I wouldn't say I'm a brand guy, I wouldn't say I'm a product guy, and I wouldn't say I'm a marketing guy. I would say I'm just a guy that finds shit interesting and does shit that he finds interesting, right? Like. I don't know, not, which I I'm guess not, I'm not trying to put you in a box or anything, by the way. Yeah, I just this is like my... I've been I've been <laughs> trying to get out of boxes my whole life. So you put me in there okay, as fast as possible. I know every way out. But that's back to like, which am I? I I'm I'm none. I, I don't I don't look at myself in a box. And I think it's important for innovation to not be in a box, right? Whether it's product, right? Like, for example, the past four years, five years, our far and above best selling product has been like a blend. And it's a fabric and on the outside it looks super soft, right? If somebody were to, if we had, you know, product developers or a team in a box, they would have never come up with that. That came from I would go to downtown Los Angeles. Uh we go to my business part of the time, but we go down to the factories and we would say, make the softest hoodie ever. And then make something where we say, make it softer. And we'd say, make it softer. And then eventually this guy was just like, dude, what the fuck do you want? Like so the whole hoodie inside out, he used, you know, all these different blends and fabric softeners and everything. He's like, never come back to me again. And this is the softest we'll ever fucking get. Now leave me the fuck alone. After months of just pestering everyone. And that's how we got it, right? And I don't think you get that by being in a box or being a product developer. You get that from being like, I just, I'm obsessed with making this softer or make it softer. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. That's pretty fucking soft as well. It's a, I don't I don't think you can make anything softer in that type of material in that type of build because I tried 
We spent almost a year trying. So if someone can, I mean, there's other soft fabrics like cashmere and some of these higher premium, but at that price point for that product, I don't think it's softer. And if someone does, they know something I don't because I tried everything I could. As you said, eight years ago, you've seen a lot of You've seen a lot of change within the business, but you've seen a lot of change in terms of just the ecosystem, right? Social media, influencers, all this stuff. You, you mentioned you were early in with like the chain smokers and people like this. And like these days, like these tactics are commodities in the digital marketing and brand building world. Everybody's doing them to varying degrees of success, right? If you were to start feet or a new kind of a power brand or a new brand tomorrow, knowing everything you know, knowing how you started feet, knowing the changes in the ecosystem and what's working and what's working now or not working now, excuse me, what would be your strategy and approach? To not do it. Knowing everything I know, no fucking chance I would do it. <laughs> no, no, no. And that's why entrepreneurs who want to start, especially want to start developing companies, right? I mean, when you think about macro, like there's so much excess inventory in the world right now. When you're like Nike, Lululemon, Adidas, they have like so many units. Like TJ Maxx, for instance, a good example. Like TJ Maxx is that's where most brands, when you can't sell your product or you're sitting on too much inventory, you could sell it to TJ Maxx at a massive discount. And that's their business works. They buy it from you at a massive discount, they sell it in their stores. For the first seven years of our business, they would beg us for product. They all the time. And we would never sell to them because like it just didn't make sense. We were like, it's our it would hurt our brand, blah, blah, blah. Now we're begging them to take product and they're like, yo, we got way too much product. Like we will not take it. And that's like you're seeing that across everything. Like people, there's too much product in the market. I've also like, yeah, I just wouldn't too much product in the market. That's why you see all these companies 50, 60, 70% off, all these brands that never run discounts. I'm sure you're saying in the digital marketing world, like it seems like every meta ad or every Facebook ad now is attached to a 30 to 70% discount, right? Like I don't see any ads running anywhere without massive discounts attached to them. So it's like, that's the state we're in. So back to like knowing when to push into fall, I would not start an e-commerce brand. I have a clothing brand right now. I probably wouldn't start an e-commerce brand right now. I was It's just fucking hard right now. It's like, yeah. Hard time. That's a fair answer. Our friends at Ghost are helping solve some of these inventory problems, right? Uh, I mean, that's, you talk about someone who's seen it all and has so much experience. Someone like D, I mean, he has so much experience. He's so smart to see this in the market, right? And he saw this before. He saw that trend coming because he's, I mean, D's the clothing OG, right? He is the guy and he's done it all and seen it all. So he was able to spot this trend of shit. Everyone's got too much shit, essentially. And genius, what he's able to do. So yeah, like that's the big opportunity. Now the big opportunity is not making more product; it's figuring out how to help people liquidate this stuff. So yeah, I have so much respect and admiration for a D to make that jump and to go do that, and how well it's doing, and how much he's taught me over time. And it's like back to showing what experience can do, and uh, he's got such good experience. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I uh, when he's not flying somewhere every day of the week, I want to get him on the podcast at some point. So, well, yeah. good luck uh, tracking him down. It's tough. <laughs> I know. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Uh, Taylor, we're coming up on time, man, but just really appreciate you jumping on. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a massive fan. Really appreciate the honesty and everything else. Like, that's what this podcast is about, right? So, I actually love you saying I wouldn't fucking start an e commerce brand tomorrow because 
you know, it is hard. And I think like you don't want to put any false misconceptions out into the market or into people's minds that this that this stuff is easy because it it's often glamorized and made to look like so easy, so successful, just chilling on a you know, chilling in Bali with your laptop and you're just, you know, churning in money. So I I, I think it's really refreshing to have someone just so open and honest. So thank you for that. Um I think you know, I, I find it really beneficial. I'm sure people listening would. So wrap us up then, you know, I mean, what's next for feet? I mean, it sounds like what's next is definitely not going to be another e-commerce brand, but what's next for feet? What's next for you? What What's Taylor going to be doing in the future? Yeah, I just enjoy every day. I think I used to always think about what's next in terms of business. And that's, you know, my brain was really one track minded on business of like by 30, I'm going to be XYZ in my career. And then by 35, I'm going to start this type of company. And here's the next company I'm going to start. And I tried like being super strategic. And like, that's where my brain would go. Um, and almost probably like unrealized expectations, which are every entrepreneur, right? By this age, I'm going to have this much money. And then I'm going to work really hard and grind, grind, grind. And then I'm going to cash out and I'm going to sell my business for however many millions. And then I'm going to be happy, right? And then I'm going to chill. And that mindset, I mean, I've had a lot of friends who have sold their businesses for a lot of millions. I've kind of seen the before and after. That mindset, it, it's not the mindset, right? That is not what you want to do. So I guess what's next for me is just, I don't really try to think about that. I just think about enjoying the next day. I want to put more branded energy and my soul into beat, which it hasn't been for a while. What's next for me is A, sell through all the inventory that would be with a lot of inventory and stop. B, make some new stuff that really resonates with me and build a brand that really resonates and feel like I'm connected to. And it's fucking enjoy it every day. If you're enjoying every day, you can't lose. Love it. Love it. That's a great note to end on. Really appreciate your time, dude. Thank you so much. Thank you.